Hello, this is Andy, and you're listening to Federal Andy. Episode 104, Pence Hops on the Delay Train. In all of the testimony that has been given regarding the January 6th insurrection, there's one person who is perhaps in the second best position to really know what happened. This person probably could provide the best information yet to the special counsel who has been charged with investigating the 2020 election subversion scheme. That person, of course, is former Vice President Mike Pence. The Number one person, naturally, would be former President Donald Trump, but we shouldn't expect much cooperation from him. So, last week, on Thursday evening, February the 9th, to be exact, the big news that was released to the media was that Special Counsel Jack Smith who, of course, is the entity appointed by Attorney General Merrick Garland to investigate this 2020 election subversion scheme and a few other things surrounding that date, things that happened prior to and things that happened after. And... I think initially people were happy to hear that it appeared Jack Smith was finally getting to the very top of the ladder, which is something that everybody has been waiting for. After all, it has been over two years. And the longer it takes for charges to be filed, the longer it takes for the people who planned and helped to fund the execution of the January 6th events, the longer it takes, uh, the worse it's, the worse it is for the country because we are setting a precedent that if you do something like this, you've got years, literally, to (laughs) flee the country to another nation where there's not an extradition agreement or bribe witnesses or have them (laughs) have them taken care of and you know mysterious little accidents where they happen to just fall out of the window of a high-rise building or something like that but uh I think most people were happy to hear that it finally 
had reached the point where we were one person, one level down from the ultimate target, which I believe is former President Donald Trump. And it seems that former President, Vice President Pence would definitely be someone that they would have to talk to at some point. And in addition to the news of the subpoena, we learned that the Justice Department and Pence and his attorneys have been negotiating for months over his testimony. So the fact that the subpoena was issued could actually be a bad thing or could be a good thing. Could be a good thing because we know that Mike Pence is considering running for president. And he isn't going to want to do anything that's going to interfere with his chances of being president. So he has to keep the Trump people happy. I'm not sure that that is something he needs to worry about all that much because I think Trump's supporters are already pretty much done with Mike Pence because they feel like he did the wrong thing when the electoral count vote occurred in the Senate. And when he refused to go along with the illegal advice that uh, Trump had uh, discussed with Pence, when, when Pence didn't go along with that, I think he lost most of those Trump supporters. And, of course, that was one of the things that was responsible for the attack on the U.S. Capitol on January 6th of 2021, the fact that <laughs> Pence let them all down. And don't forget, they were looking for Pence. So if he is worried about retaining any Trump supporters, I think he's already lost them. But he may want to give the impression to other Republicans that he's not cooperating with the Department of Justice. You know, the deep state, um, the weaponized governmental agencies that we've heard about, which is all BS, of course. But it's very possible that in order to save face, Pence and his attorneys may have said to the Justice Department, you know, hey, I can't just come in voluntarily and testify under oath about this stuff, because if I do, it's going to ruin my political chances for having any type of a, of a future in politics, certainly running for president. So if you want me to come in, you're going to have to send me a subpoena. And that's what some people call a friendly subpoena. In other words, since the person being subpoenaed asked for one, it's considered a friendly one. That way he has an out. He can say it's the law. It's a subpoena. It's from a special counsel. So I can't, <laughs> I can't ignore it. And... There's a couple of things that 
Pence could possibly have up his sleeve. One of them could be executive privilege claims. And that is something that really doesn't exist in the vice president's office. That would have to come from the president's office. And Trump would be the one that would have to raise executive privilege claims. But they're not going to be, I don't think, strong ones. And ultimately, executive privilege really rests with the current president, which would be Joe Biden. And he has pretty much already said that he is not going to claim executive privilege on any of this stuff involving January 6th or the election of 2020 or any of that stuff. He's going to let the Department of Justice and its special counsel (laughs) do what it needs to do to get to the truth. And there have already been some court battles that a lot of people are not aware of involving executive privilege. And it appears that the Department of Justice was successful in getting testimony from two of Pence's aides, Mark Short and Greg Jacob. And there have has already been evidence that even some of Trump's attorneys have gone before the um, um, special counsel. So probably not a, not a really strong argument there. And the bottom line is Pence has now published a memoir that he's already divulged information which is certainly within the executive privilege range. And when you've done that, when you have already made information public that would have fallen under executive privilege, then you can't turn around and say, oh, I can't testify about this. I can't talk about this because it's executive privilege. Well, (laughs) not when it's public. So um, that's one of those things where people will meet with an attorney and yet if there's somebody else in the room or if they discuss what they said to their attorney with someone else, then all of a sudden that attorney-client privilege thing gets thrown into question. So anyway, um, that was the big news last week and everybody kind of wondered what Mike Pence was going to do. And I think most expected that he would try to do something to delay having to appear before the special counsel. And what he is apparently going to do now is he's going to fight this grand jury subpoena. Uh, And He's not going to try to go down that executive privilege street because I think he's already been told by his attorneys that that is, that's not going to work. So what he is trying to do is he is trying to use the Constitution's speech and debate clause. And 
he is going to argue that he was acting in his capacity as the president of the Senate rather than as vice president. So obviously the Senate is in the legislative branch of government and the vice president's office is in the executive branch of government. So the vice president is the president of the Senate. And this speech and debate clause, which is in the Constitution, protects members of Congress from too much interference on the part of the executive branch. So you might wonder, as I am, how can (laughs) we have three separate co-equal branches of government, but how is it that one position in government can fall in two different branches of government at the same time? So (laughs) apparently there are some legal experts out there who says that there is indeed a basis to argue that Pence's speech and debate clause defense may be legitimate. And the reason for that is because it is an unsettled area of law, and the only way to settle it likely means a court fight that could certainly drag out for some time which is a problem for a couple of reasons. Number one, the longer it drags out, the closer we get to the 2024 elections, and the longer it drags out, the closer we might get to Mike Pence announcing his candidacy for the president. Presidency. Yeah. Announcing his candidacy for the presidency in 2024. And that presents some problems, considering that we're two years, more than two years into this thing, and the Justice Department is just now kind of getting around to this. Wonder what in the heck they've been doing, huh? So, and to add more muck to this, in the past, the Justice Department itself has argued in court that the vice president acting in their role as the president of the Senate is covered by the speech and debate clause. But how wide that scope is, how how deeply it applies to this particular situation is not completely clear and has not really been tested in court that much. So it's definitely an unsettled area and nobody knows for sure how deep legislative immunity goes. Now you might remember that a couple of months back when the, um, Folks in Georgia, the the, uh, 
special grand jury in Georgia that was investigating the <laughs> Trump's phone call. Can we just, can you just find me 11,000, whatever, 782 votes? <laughs> um, Senator Lindsey Graham was involved in that, making telephone calls to people that a lot of folks thought since he's not representing Georgia, it was kind of beyond the scope of his duties as a senator. But he used this argument, this speech and debate clause, uh, to try to evade having to testify under oath before the, the, the select grand jury or special grand jury. And he lost. And he had to actually testify. But... In the past, former Vice President Dick Cheney did not want to testify in the Valerie Plame issue. And you might remember Valerie Plame was an undercover CIA operative who was deeply, deeply involved in all of the stuff that was going on uh, in uh, with nuclear pl- proliferation, and she had. Uh, spies set up in foreign countries that were <laughs> basically outed by Dick Cheney's. Um, you might remember he had a um, an associate in the vice president's office by the name of Scooter Libby, and Scooter Libby outed Valerie Plame because Valerie Plame's husband guy by the name of, he was an ambassador, Wilson, um, basically came out and said this stuff about weapons of mass destruction and all of this stuff that we're hearing from Bush and Cheney is just a bunch of BS. And that was kind of a big deal. But um, at that time, Dick Cheney did not want to um, testify in that, and he hired a guy by the name of Emmett Flood, who has now been retained by Mike Pence. And Emmett Flood used this unique um, uh, position as being the president of the Senate and the vice president at the same time. So you have two roles to play, one in the legislative branch and one in the executive branch. And he used that uh, rather effectively to um, uh, evade having to testify. So there's a couple of things going on here. Pence obviously doesn't want to testify against Donald Trump. And he doesn't want to be involved with Trump in any way either. He doesn't want to have to get to the point where he's depending on Trump to exert executive privilege on any of these things. And again, (laughs) Pence has already written about some of this stuff in his book, which is now a matter of public record. It's out there. So it's going to be difficult for him to 
act like, you know, <laughs> oh, this is all top secret. We can't, can't talk about this stuff. So this should be interesting. Very interesting. I'd like to touch base again on a law known as misprision of a felony. That's M-I-S-P-R-I-S-I-O-N. And the first person that I heard bring this up was Glenn Kirshner of Justice Matters. He has a podcast as well as a YouTube channel, and he's on MSNBC quite a bit. And misprision of a felony is basically hiding a felony that has occurred, but yet at the same time, you're not actually assisting in the action of the felony. So in other words, you didn't actually have anything to do with it. You weren't involved in any way. You didn't have any knowledge, but you found out about it or I guess you could have found out about it before it happened as well. The fact of the matter is you just, you know that something has occurred and instead of doing what you're supposed to do by law, which is letting the authorities know, hey, I saw this occur and seems to me like, you know, that's a problem. And in order to convict someone of misprision of a felony, the government or the prosecutors have to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that the person who was accused of committing a felony actually did commit the felony and, and completed it. In other words, they stole the money and they got away with it or whatever. Uh, the defendant, which would be the person who is charged with misprision of a felony, had full knowledge of that fact, which is that the person who committed it and completed the felony, they knew all about it. The defendant failed to notify the authorities about this crime and that the defendant took affirmative steps to conceal the crime of the principal. And I would say that an affirmative step could be not picking up the telephone and calling someone or having the opportunity to say to someone, hey, uh, this happened and I want to report it. Like if, if you know someone that's in the, you know, a, a a law enforcement officer or some sort of a legal authority. And so bottom line is the person who would get convicted of misprision of a felony would have to hide something. And that could be making sure that evidence isn't dispensed or some other positive act that prevents perhaps somebody finding out. In other words, you could have spoken up and said, I saw this happen 
or I know for a fact that this happened, or this person told me that they were going to do this, and then it happened, something like that. And the, yeah, failure, failure to disclose. So you have to, you have to suppress the evidence and, or take some other act to help make sure that it doesn't become widely known, that the crime doesn't become widely known, and then you have to failure to disclose. And apparently the failure to disclose, which would be notifying, uh, that's the big one apparently to, that actually makes it a felony. That's the, that's what you have to have. And I would say in Pence's case, he had lots of conversations about this stuff with Trump. Uh, Trump probably made comments to him about, well, this is how this is supposed to work. And it doesn't matter if it's legal or not. Doesn't matter if it's right or not. Just, just do it. And then the rest of the Republicans in Congress will take care of it. And the Republicans in the States will take care of it or whatever. And, uh, so anyway, if you, um, don't disclose it, but then there's not active concealment. There's no felony, apparently. So um, active concealment. Uh, <laughs> Pence had plenty of opportunities to get in front of the cameras or to go to the attorney general or whoever and say, look, Trump did so-and-so and I'm reporting it to you officially. And he didn't do that, at least as far as we know, he didn't do it. But with William Barr being the attorney general, who knows? Anyway, uh, that's something else that uh, I kind of wonder if Merrick Garland or Jack Smith or anybody at the DOJ is taking a look at, because it certainly seems to fit in this instance, as well as possibly a few others. So let's just go back and kind of re-walk some steps down memory lane here regarding Pence and Trump and their era in the White House. Pence stood by Trump for over four years. He almost lovingly looked at Trump and appeared to have a high level of admiration and respect for Trump. He would stand there and have that little bit of a smile on his face when Trump was lying to the American people. And I think Mike Pence knew he was lying. And Mike Pence, of course, says he's a big Christian. I do know that lying is a sin. So when you stand by someone and support them while they lie, are you not also lying? I guess that's dependent upon your interpretation of religion. We do know that Mike Pence worked very diligently trying to find a way to give Donald Trump what he wanted. So I think that's an important point to consider. 
Mike Pence knew that there hadn't been any rigging or any voter fraud in the 2020 election. Time after time after time, there were recounts, there were audits, and there was just nothing. There had been challenges filed uh, in court, lawsuits filed, and judges were saying, there's nothing here to base a case on. So Mike Pence knew that this whole thing about some sort of rigging or fraud or the election being stolen somehow, he knew that that was not true at this point. Yet he was still trying to find a way to give Trump what he wanted. And that's something I think that the American people need to consider. Pence was willing to disregard the will of the American people in order to give Donald Trump what he wanted if Pence could find a way to justify it, maybe not a clear-cut way, but just a path where it might have the possibility of being looked at as legitimate. And it's my understanding that it was a conversation with former Vice President Dan Quayle, who told him, Mike, you can't do it. There's nothing there. Your role is just to oversee the proceedings. It's a ceremonial role. You don't have any say in it. So Pence very reluctantly went along with what the American people wanted. So that's something that people need to remember. Even though Mike Pence will tell you that he's a good Christian family man, he's honest, he has high values, high standards, high morals, and he's a man of good character, you have to remember he stood behind and next to Donald Trump for over four years through the campaign when Donald Trump made fun of people with challenges, physical challenges. He spoke down to uh, women, <laughs> and, and Mike said nothing. All of the lies regarding COVID-19, oh, it's just going to go away when the weather warms up. So Pence is not the upstanding citizen that he would like for people to believe, and I seem to remember that his family had some sort of an oil company or gas station refining business or something up there in Indiana, and they just kind of closed everything down and left a mess for the taxpayers in Indiana to clean up. Um, is that something that a good Christian man does? Uh, I don't know, and I don't know what his role in it was, but somebody in his family was involved, his brother or somebody. So anyway, uh, looks like he is going to fight this grand jury subpoena. And, you know, Pence has had a little bit of a 
complicated relationship with Trump over the years. So I think what he's trying to do right now is just delay things. That's worked so well for Trump. Delay, delay, delay as much as you can. And, you know, Mike Pence had the opportunity after the January 6th insurrection to take steps to remove Donald Trump from power. Didn't do it. Would have only been for a matter of a couple of weeks, but he was a pretty dangerous person at that point. Donald Trump was. And Pence didn't want to do that. And we know that the January 6th Select Committee investigating the activities at the U.S. Capitol uh, asked Pence to come in and testify, and he refused to do so, said that uh, they just weren't entitled to any of his testimony. And then he comes out with a book, which is going to profit him personally. And he wrote in his book about some potentially executive privilege discussions or events uh, that, uh, that occurred, put it in his book. So now you can't turn around when you're subpoenaed and say, oh, um, yeah, I can't talk to the grand jury about this stuff. Well, <laughs> yeah, you, you kind of have to at that point. So it's not really clear because this is unsettled law, how this all fits in with the speech and debate clause. And so we don't, we don't know. And the, the big problem here, of course, is that everything has been moving so very slowly that anything at this point that delays the, the ultimate answer to this situation, uh, you know, who is going to be indicted, Every day that goes by, we're getting a little bit closer to that 2024 election. And, you know, I, I've got to say, this this whole thing with uh, not being able to uh, announce investigations or not being able to charge people when it gets close to an election or even if they're just running for president, <laughs> I think is just... I think that's ridiculous. And I think the Department of Justice needs to just say, we are going to uh, disband this internal rule about politicians. Because I think ultimately the ability of the American people to know what's going on with their politicians, people who are running for office, their elected officials, I think that that should overrule everything. I understand the reason that they feel the way that they do 
They think, well, if we make an announcement about anything, it could very well prevent someone who might have won their seat from from winning because this negative information has come out. And oh my gosh, what if, what if we're wrong and they lost their seat or didn't win because of this? Well, there's another side of that story, and that is what if somebody wins and they are guilty of all of these things, but the public didn't know about it because it was kept from the public. And now you have a crook and a criminal and perhaps a traitor in a position of power. And that just adds another layer of issues on top of already serious issues. And don't forget, we have members of Congress actively in the House of Representatives and, and you know, in the Senate that have this attitude that uh, the election was stolen from Trump. Still, <laughs> complete absence of any evidence to support that belief. And are they really working in the best interests of the country with that type of an attitude? I don't think they are. But we have people who were making telephone calls to Donald Trump on the, Jan on the day of the insurrection on January 6th. We know that there were some people involved in meetings prior to January 6th and lots of texts back and forth. And there's just, there's a lot of stuff that needs to be answered. And the fact that some of these people are sitting in Congress right now should be of, of high concern to every American citizen because they do not have what's best for the country at heart. And they obviously don't respect the will of the American people because if they did, they would have said the American people voted. There's no evidence of any rigging or voter fraud or election fraud or anything else, that's that. That's the way it's always been, and that's the way it should be. But we continue to entertain these insane people and their ideas, and, and that's a real problem. And every day that goes by that we are waiting for the Department of Justice to actually do something is another day that justice is delayed. So I don't know what the answer to this is, but the delay tactics have to stop because we've had over two years of delays. And <laughs> let me be clear here. <clears throat> the, the Mueller report very clearly indicated that Donald Trump had created, had had committed some crimes. And Merrick Garland has now allowed those, those um, crimes to go unpunished. And the statute of limitations has apparently run on some of them. And is it because there's bigger fish to fry, so to speak? They, there's bigger crimes? 
<laughs> maybe. But, you know, if you're going to do, if you're going to do that for the president, if, if, if all citizens are treated the same under the law or supposed to be treated the same under the law, how can you turn around and charge someone else with a similar crime down the road when you've allowed someone else to get away with it? It just seems that justice isn't fair. And if Merrick Garland is interested or concerned about the reputation of the Department of Justice, that is not helping it. So on the remote, very remote possibility that Merrick Garland hears this, <laughs> I've just got to say, dude, what are you doing here? Um, <clears throat> Every day that goes by, we've got these people who <laughs> very likely participated in a failed coup to overthrow the government of the United States, and they're in Congress. Does that not, <laughs> does that not send chills up and down your spine? Does mine. Anyway, that's it for today, folks. I appreciate your time very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening. I would be grateful to you if you'd subscribe and share this podcast to let your friends and family know about it. You can also find me on Twitter at Federal Andy, and I'd be really grateful if you would follow me. I usually follow back. Be happy, safe, and healthy. And I'll hopefully be talking to you again next week. Mm -hmm.